Heather, thank you for sharing today that it's not just life here on a Sunday that, that God is interested in. He's interested in our life no matter where we are, including our working life. And Heather came out for prayer last week to speak specifically about a work situation that she was facing, which was difficult. And God is interested in our working relationships. He is interested in what we do in the workplace. So wherever we work, and no matter who we work for, or when we work, or why we work, God is interested So in the workplace, if you work in an office, in the workplace, if you work in a factory on a construction site, if you're a student, your school is your workplace. God is expecting you to work. If you're at university, that's your workplace. If you're at home bringing up children, that's your workplace. If you're doing volunteer work for this church or other organisations, that's your workplace. There are so many situations where we exert effort, which is work, and we interface with other people. God is interested in the relationships that we're building in the workplace, no matter where they are. And you know, no matter where we are, we're advertising a model. And there's only two models. We're either advertising, I serve me, and greed is good? Or we advertise, I serve others because I serve Jesus and God is good. But don't be fooled into thinking that you're not advertising anything because you're not saying anything. Every action, every single thing that you does advertises one or the other. That's a given. You'll be speaking a message with your life. What we get to do is we get to choose which message we speak. And if you want to be God's advertisement, we've got to move. He empowers us to move. We're no longer slaves to sin and self anymore. He empowers us to move and be his advertisement through his spirit. We can do it through him. So we have to grab hold of that power and say, nothing's going to distract me from being God's advertisement. Greed is not good. God is good. Selfishness is not good. Other focus is good. So we've got to grab hold of that today and say, I want to take every single moment and be an advertisement for you, Jesus. And I want to give the right message, not the wrong one. So we've got to think really carefully about why on earth we work at school, at home, in the office, in the, on the construction site, why do we work? Because there's lots and lots of messages that the world is giving us about why we work. Let's have a look at some of them. Here's an ad. This is from Urban Trust Bank. They're advertising to us. They're giving us a message. They're saying, why do you work? A to make your landlord rich, or B, to build wealth through home ownership. So only two options. They're telling you you've got options here, like you've got a choice. But really, are those options two parts of the model, or are those options this side of the model? There's an assumption, isn't there, that you go to work to earn money. That's why you go to work, and you either earn it to 
rent somewhere or buy somewhere. But really, that's why you're at work for money. So how do you want to use your money? Come to us. We might want to help you with that because we want to make money too. So isn't that what it's all about? We make money, you make money. It's all about making money. So subtle, isn't it? But it's saying work is about making money. That's what you're doing. You're making money. Listen to this. This was in um, the UK has a newspaper called The Sun. And this was an article um, on the 27th of January. These people say, we get 17,680 English pounds, which is the equivalent to about 30,000 Australian dollars, in a year in benefits, social security, payments from the government. We buy 40 cigs, cigarettes a day, And then the rest of the titles got chopped off, but I'll read it to you. It says, we have a laptop and a home with a 47-inch TV. Why work? You see, for them, working is all about getting your TV, getting the money. And if I can get that from somewhere else, I can just avoid working altogether. Because isn't work just about getting what I need, getting my lounge room set up so I've got red cushions and red carpet and everything matching? I'm all set. I'm all looked after. I don't need to work. I'll just avoid the whole idea. There's another idea here. Work is just to buy material stuff for me. So you see, we've got another idea, which is well within the self-model. And it's just sort of trickling out there. We just read it every sort of day. Just assume this is what we go to work for. How about this one? Your resume seems in order, Mr Lupo. But would you explain exactly why you want to work here, Mr Lupo? You see, we can go to work looking for something. The wolf wants something to eat. But, you know, you can go to work looking for some sexy babe. (laughs) That can be it. You can say, work is a hunting ground for me because that's where I'm going to find my babe. Lots of people do it. They tell me, when they come to see me, I say, why, why are you coming to see me to work out a career path? What's in it for you? What what is this all about? Well, that's where I'm going to hook onto a cheeky babe. Don't be fooled. People smile on the outside, but their motive may be very different on the inside. Just because they make you feel good with their smile doesn't mean they are good with their motive. You see, we've got to understand why we're going to work. We've got to understand it. Otherwise, we'll get sucked up into the world's ideas about why we go to work. So why are we labouring? For what or for whom are we labouring? You see, the answer to that question, which is the purpose of work, the answer to that question will affect your attitude at work and the answer to that question will affect your behaviour at work, which is your advertisement. So we've got to figure this out because if we get this wrong, we'll get this wrong and we'll get this wrong, we'll get our advertisement wrong too. So what I want to do is I want you to think for three minutes about this very basic question, why work? So I want you to talk to the person next to you. You've got three minutes. I want you to think about what are some selfish reasons for working and what are some other focused reasons for working okay go so why work 
Why on earth do we go to work? Oop, come back. Why do we work? If I read these out and you think of anything different, I want you to yell them out. But in essence, why do we work for ourselves? Let's have a think about it. Maybe we want to select a partner. Maybe we want savings. Maybe we want superannuation. Maybe it's status. That would be nice for me if I got a good job title. Or is it stuff? Is it the car? Is it the house? Is it the holiday? Or is it to steal? Is there something we want to steal? Can you believe they found one in four Australians steal stationery at work? Isn't that enormous? One in four. Now, if that sounds horrible, guess what the stat is for the US? Three in four people in the US steal stationery. Can you believe that? Now, don't you start getting all comfy. Only one in four. One in four is terrible. One in four is terrible if the one in four are Christians and advertising, yeah, I'm the same as you. It's just a stapler. We got a choice to make on Monday when we go back to work. Are we going to be the same as the world and advertise the same selfish motives? Or are we going to be different to the world? So there's lots of things that motivate us to work if self is in the centre and self is what it's all about. Bottom line, satisfy self. But you know what self really wants? Do less. Have a bigger holiday. Get to work late. In fact, why go at all? Get the social security benefits and that's all you need. Don't even worry about it. Sponge off somebody else or the government. Don't even think about working. Maybe there's an easy out here. You know, there's a bit of suffering that goes on at work, a bit of sweat. I don't like that idea. And there's wolves at work, you know, it's a scary place. Discomfort of working. You know, self has got a thousand different reasons why to work or even avoid work. If you're aware of them, you can be one step ahead when it comes to tempt you. What about on this side? Before we move, did anyone else come up with anything that was radically different to that? Or did it sort of fit with that? It kind of fit? Security. Security. Oh, okay. That's a good one. That's an S word too. It'll fit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, that's right. Including the pen. The little big pen for 20 cents. Ah, doesn't matter. Really? Okay, what about other? What would be an other-focused approach or reason for working? What about overcoming the world? What about an opportunity to share the gospel? What about opening people's hearts and mind to the truth? Another way, a better way. What about providing for our own household? What about occupying spiritual space, offering help and solutions in Jesus? What about taking this and saying, I'm going to use every minute I'm at work to glorify God. I want to exalt your name so that you don't think God is some big guy with a stick out to get you and that's all he is. And God is not Santa Claus either. I want to glorify the name of God, the real God, the loving God. Imagine if we jumped on the bus, if we jumped in our car and thought, I'm going to exalt your name today, Jesus especially in a workplace which is really niggly and whingy because there's heaps of them. The world is niggly and whingy because self is never satisfied. I just want more. 
Imagine what a difference you'd make, especially in workplaces which are in pain at the moment. There's a lot of businesses in pain at the moment. There's a lot of redundancies at the moment. There's a lot of people taking pay cuts at the moment. People are even more whingy because they're there for the money. And if the money's not there, they're going to get whingy. Imagine if you say, I'm here for a different reason. I'm not dependent on the money. I'm dependent on God because he's my provider. You're going to sound different. And if you sound different, people are going to look at you different. People are going to watch you just a little bit more closely. And eventually, I pray you have an opportunity to be asked the question, what makes you different? How come you're not stressing? How come you're not whinging? What's wrong with you? It's only a stapler. You got high principles or something? You want to stand out. You want to be different. You want to exalt the name of Jesus every minute you're at work. There is such an opportunity. This is where we interface with the world. This is where the world watches us. This is actually where we actually say what we are and who we are as Christians. Because, you know, sitting here on a Sunday, we all kind of are very nice people, aren't we? Everyone's sitting here nicely. You're looking at me, some are smiling, but no one's growling at me. Everyone's sitting calmly. And you can kind of do that for an hour or two. But, you know, if we maybe brought in some people that I worked with that see me every day, see me with the grumpy clients that come to see me, see me with the rude clients that come to see me. So they see me in some more difficult situations. They might be able to tell you a thing or two about my Christianity because it's lived out every day in the workplace as well as the home place, as well as the school place. It's not just here for an hour on Sunday. We advertise 24-7 and most definitely... The advertisement is biggest and brightest in the workplace because that's where the world sees us. That's where the world gets a glimpse of Jesus. And that's where they either figure that Jesus is just the same. He doesn't make any difference. Your life's not transformed. So what's all this hoo-ha about transforming spirit? We've got to recognize every minute counts for Jesus. He could be back in 10 minutes. We don't know. So when you think about this question... I want you to stop right now and think about this question for you. Why do you work? Why do you go to school? Why do you go to university? Why do you exert that effort? What's your purpose? What are you doing there? Why spend all your time there? And how does that affect your attitude at work? And how does that influence your behaviour at work? I don't like those questions either because I've got to ask them for me too. And you know when I really stopped to think about it, I thought, you can see it by people's behaviour. It works up this way. And one of the things that we do is we talk. And when we talk, we actually give a clue to why we're at work. What do you reckon about these people? John, this is what his one of little catch cries are. You've got to look out for number one around here. 
self. What about Angela? Surely God doesn't expect me to work if I feel unhappy. Self. I felt stuck when I really stopped and thought about this question. I thought, okay, if I'm going to ask you this question, I need to answer this question for myself. Why do I work? It gets sticky. Why do we work? What if it's vague in your mind? What if it's like, well, isn't that just what you do? It's a yucky, stuck feeling if we haven't spent some time asking God, why do you want me to work, God? So the best place to go to answer that question is to his word. Charles Spurgeon says, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. I like that. This is the book of Ephesians. Whoever is reading the book of Ephesians in this Bible is looking for answers. How many colours are there? Orange, yellow, pink, blue, green. Imagine if we opened the book of Ephesians and said, why do you want me to work, God? Show me the no's. What do I need to say no to ungodliness in terms of reasons for work? Maybe I'll highlight them in pink. And now give me the yes. What do I need to say yes to? Maybe I'll highlight them in green. Imagine if we went to God's word and said, show me God, show me God. Why do you want me to work? Because it's there. He's dying to tell you it's there. So if we study the word of God, we've been learning that there's an acronym that we can use to help us. It's called IRAD. When we study, we're looking for five things, things that are emphasized, repeated, related, alike, and different. That's what we're looking for. So I'm going to have a couple of IRAD alerts during the sermon. So as you're listening, as you're looking at God's word, keep this in mind. Emphasize, repeated, related, alike, different, IRAD. But before we come to this passage of scripture and we're moving through Ephesians, this is the last sermon on relationships. Next week we're going to start a new series on spiritual armor. But as we move to this part of the scripture, so I want to talk a little bit about the language that's being used in this passage of scripture before we look at it. Because the language is, is kind of harsh and the language does have a sting to it. We don't use this language now. We don't use this language because we have a different economic system now than when it was Bible times and Paul was writing this. You see, the thing is that when this was being written, it was being written at a time where there were, there's an economic system where there was slavery. So there were masters and there were slaves. Thankfully, we don't have that in our culture now, but in their day, they did. And at that time, the system was abused, especially by the Romans, really abusive. And you know, after that time and in our more recent history, we know that slavery has been abused again and again. It was horrible. But I want to make a really important distinction here. Otherwise, we'll get distracted with the words. The system itself was not evil. It was the people in the system that made it evil and abusive. 
You see, the abuses were due to the heart of man. It was a heart problem. They were corrupt. It wasn't the nature of the system. Listen to what Paul says. He says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. So he's saying don't voluntarily go out there and become a slave of a human being. But if this is the economic system that you're operating in, don't let it trouble you. I'm meeting you where you're at in the current system that you're in. You see, he's saying to us, Jesus didn't come to change the system. He didn't talk about the system, changing the system. And the apostles didn't talk about changing the system. What Jesus came to do was to change our hearts. Because a changed heart can work in any system, capitalism, communism, socialism. It's not the system. It's the corrupt hearts and minds within the system that leads to the abuse. That's why we've got to make sure we get our minds right so we can get our behaviour right. And we're not going to get that right unless we get the purpose right. And We're not going to get that right unless Jesus changes our hearts to empower us to do that. I want to read a couple of sentences which I really liked. See if you like them too. It's looking at contrasting the corrupt mind to the holy mind. The corrupt mind uses its strength to steal from the weak. The holy Christian mind uses its strength to serve the weak. The corrupt mind seeks to gain at the expense of others. The holy Christian mind seeks the good of others at our expense. I like that. It's a contrast between corrupt and holy. We're meant to be very different to what we were with our old clothes. We've got new clothes. They're righteous clothes, which empower us to be righteous. You see, Jesus and Paul knew that they weren't focusing on the political or the social issues because that's not the core of the problem. The core of the problem is spiritual. They came to change us spiritually. And one of the things that God does is he says, no matter what your economic or social or political system, there's two pillars. One is submission and one is authority. It's only when they're abused that they cause problems. Submission and authority are beautiful godly principles when they're implemented with a righteous heart, not with a corrupt mind and heart. So I just want to talk a little bit about the language. So when we're looking at masters, I want you to think about all these different situations in our current environment where we're under some sort of authority. So in your life, your authority figure might be an employer, a boss, manager, leader, an owner, a teacher if you're at school, a lecturer if you're at uni, a trainer. It might be a client, a mentor, a discipler or a parent. God has actually said that this is the authority system that I have established. Then when it comes to slaves, in our day-to-day world now, Slaves are employees, workers, students, trainees, apprentices, a mentee. The boys up the back wondered if I'd done a typo here because the word thing said, nah, this is not spelt correctly. It's not a mental person. A mentee is someone that's being mentored. So 
if someone is mentoring you, leading you, discipling you, then think about what God says about the slave role that we need to take as, as a disciple, a child, an employee or a worker. Keep in mind what Paul said. He said, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, he identifies with, with actually being a prisoner or a slave. But keep in mind when he wrote Ephesians, he was in house arrest. He was actually in jail with the Romans, but he doesn't identify with that. He said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. He's the one that's in control here. They may think they've got control over me, but Jesus has ultimate authority over me. And notice his motive, for the sake of you. He's here. Even when he's in jail, that's his workplace. So... As we're studying working relationships, keep in mind two biblical principles and one purpose of work. The two principles are, one, my master at work is the authority who God has placed over me. And principle two, God is in charge of the authority. That changes things because that changes purpose, attitude and behavior. And remember our purpose. I am not ultimately a slave to them. I'm serving I'm a prisoner for Jesus. Okay, what we're going to do now is come to the passage of Scripture that we want to focus on. And one of the great Bible study methods um, that will help us to understand God's Word is to look at different versions of the Bible. Because sometimes you can read one version and not quite understand it, read another version and say, okay, now it's making more sense. So what I'm going to do today is, is have two versions here. One is the New King James, which is in the black writing, and the other is the NIV, the New International Version, which is in the blue. So I'm going to read verse 5 in New King James, and then Claudia is going to read for you NIV, which is in the blue. So you hear it once, and then you hear it a second time with different words to help you understand what is God trying to say to us. So Claudia, is your microphone working? Yes, no. No, have another go. Yes. Oh, fantastic. All right. So you ready to go? Yeah. Okay. So we'll start with verse 5 and we're going to read through to verse 9. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you obey Christ. Not with eye service as men pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Obey them, not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Well done, thank you. So notice... In this whole passage, he's talking mostly to the slaves in the role of someone that's under authority that's reporting to a boss, which is for most of us. 
Most of his audience were actually an employee. And for most of us, we're employees too. But just notice before we leave this this big passage of scripture, in the last verse, in verse 9, he's now saying to the masters, all of this applies to you plus two more. So it's heavier on the master than on the slave. It's heavier on the employer than on the employee. So the employer has two extra requirements. One is not to threaten. A Christian employer is not to threaten his employees or her employees. That means not yelling verbal abuse because a Christian employer, one who is controlled by the spirit, is gentle. So that's the first extra requirement. And the second extra requirement is no partiality or favoritism. So if you're in an employer position, if you're the boss, no favoritism, no treating people differently. Treat them all the same. So if you're just hanging out to be the boss at work, if you reckon I just can't wait till they're gone and I'm in their position, and in fact I know a whole lot more than what they do, recognise you've got two extra requirements from God. The burden is heavier for the employer than employee. So keep that in mind if you can't wait to push the old ones out and jump in. Okay, Let's, we're really going to focus just on this first verse in verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Okay, when you read this and you think about your own situation, either a teacher's at school, bosses at work, what's happening in your life, are you thinking, I have to be obedient? To that guy who calls himself my boss or that girl who's my teacher, she's a turkey. He's a turkey. They're silly. They're incompetent. They're rude. Don't like them much. You know, this is such a common situation we find ourselves in and it's not an easy situation. But we've got to remember two principles because it's easy to forget them. My master at work is the authority who God has placed over me and God is in charge of the authority. It's easy to forget that when we get into the workplace and we just feel, oh, I just don't like him. And remember, I'm not ultimately serving. I'm not ultimately a slave to them. I'm serving him. That can be really freeing for us when we find ourselves in those difficult situations. All right, I have a question for you. Who reads the comics in the newspaper? One person. Paddy, thank you. Oh, let me ask again. Who reads the comics in the papers? Put your hand up. Hi. Okay, there's still not many. Okay, I read the comics when I read the paper. What's a bit sad is now I'm using the iPad, you can't get to the comics so easy. But generally... I read the comics. And one of the comics I really like is Hagar. Does everyone know who Hagar is? Everyone knows? So you must have read the comics more than what you're telling me, I reckon. All right, have a look at Hagar. This is what I read on Wednesday when I sat down to have afternoon tea with the kids. Hagar says, Vikings are free. Vikings are independent. Vikings don't take orders from anyone. And Helgri's wife says, Vikings who want to eat have 10 minutes to get home. You see, Hagar's attitude is telling, isn't it? Because Hagar's attitude is the world's attitude. 
No one's telling me what to do. That God of yours, he's just got a whole list of rules, those Ten Commandments, and they're out of date anyway. The world rebels against submission and authority, the pillars of good working relationships. Hagar represents that. But what's interesting is that Helga's statement is very telling too. She says, Vikings who want to eat. Jesus said in Luke 22, he said, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And that's our real home. If we continue in the trials, if we persevere, in those difficult situations. He said, there's a reward for you because you're my servant ultimately. And you know, she says you've got 10 minutes to get home. You know, we do have a time limit. There is a time limit before we go home. I think sometimes we forget that when you get into the day-to-day life of washing and ironing and grocery shopping and washing up. and It's like this is just going to go on forever. There's a time limit. It could be 10 minutes, it could be 10 hours, it could be 10 days. We don't know. So, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. To be obedient is to listen, to hearken. Of one who, on the knock at the door, comes to listen to who it is, like a porter. So to obey is to be like a porter. Someone's knocking. I've got to go and see, listen. To obey, be obedient, and to submit to. This is really important we understand. He's expecting us to be obedient to our employer. Yes, there are limitations. God is not asking us to be obedient in those things that are morally wrong, that those things that are illegal, that those things that are evil or would go against the word of God. That's consistent through scripture. But generally speaking, we have to... Stop and consider he's asking us to be obedient to our employer, which is especially difficult if we don't like our employer. I've underlined according to the flesh because there's a, it shows us there is a limitation here. Our boss is telling us according to what we can do physically for him, but he isn't our master of our spiritual life. We have one master Our ultimate master is Jesus and he is the master of our spiritual life. But before we go looking for all sorts of reasons to find some little loophole, maybe there's something my boss is asking me to do that's morally wrong and that's why I don't have to obey him. There's another scripture that speaks of this and makes it even more clear of what our obligation is. Peter says to us, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. That's a tough scripture. He's clarifying for us the importance of obedience in the workplace. Erit Alert, did you find something that was related there? We just did it. I'll show you. We looked at Ephesians 6, 5 and said, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. And then we looked at Peter and said, oh, This topic is related. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters. The Bible is full of topics and that's why topical study is a really good idea. There's all sorts of ideas in the Bible that are related. It's a really good Bible study method. So God's actually asking us to submit 
This is a word that we really misunderstand. Submitting ourselves is according to this Greek definition. This word was a Greek military term, meaning to arrange in a military fashion under the command of a leader. In non-military use, which is you and I, it's a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. I emphasise a voluntary attitude of giving in. This is not something that is done to us. This is something that we choose to do. Submission is not suppression. God is not asking us to be suppressed. He's asking us to choose to submit. That's a totally, totally different idea. The thing is we all submit to something, either voluntary or involuntary. Let's make it a choice to submit to God. He says to us in Romans, he says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves, this is a voluntary thing, to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. We're all submitting to something. We're saying, I don't let anyone tell me what to do. I'm not submitting to anyone. Authority? No. Obedience? No. They're a slave to sin because they're slave to themselves. We've got to understand submission is something that we voluntarily do and submission is a choice we can make because we are free now from the chains of sin. Submission is a choice. It's a voluntary thing we do in response to this beautiful, beautiful thing that Jesus did for us on the cross. Two principles and a purpose. Don't forget them. I'm going to zip along a little bit because we're going to run out of time. What I want to talk about is the slippery slope. The reason I want to put this up here is because obeying a boss in practice at work is not an easy thing to do. The slippery slope is something developed by peacemaker industries or ministries. And peacemaker ministries have done a lot of work in figuring out what is a Christian way to deal with conflict, including in the workplace. So you can see on this little picture, you've got two kids fighting up the top. But the important thing is what's happening underneath. See how there's three sections? There's a black that says escape on one side, a black that says attack on the other side, and then in the middle it says work it out. It says we need to be careful. This is a slippery slope we're standing on. When we go to work, we find ourselves in a conflict situation or in a situation where we're either externally in conflict or internally we're in conflict. This model helps us. It says, you've got some options here to choose from. Don't slide down either side of the slope because that's when we start advertising the wrong message as Christians. And that's avoid, run away and escape or fight and attack. It says, stay on the top of the slope and work it out. So I'm not going to say too much more about that, but I do have some handouts here. The reason I brought these handouts is if you right now are in a situation at work where you feel it's so difficult to obey the boss, it is so difficult to submit to this boss, come and see me afterwards and I'll give you one of these handouts which tells you how we can stay on the top. We can overlook, we can talk and we can get help. They're all godly responses to difficult situations at work. Let me note something. See on the attack side, see how the middle one says gossip? Gossip is not a work it out strategy. Gossip is not a Christian way to deal with things at work. Gossip is 
a worldly way of dealing with conflict at work. But you know, even the world is recognising that now. So on the 3rd of June of this year, there's a new Safe Work Australia code and it says spreading rumours is bullying. It's classified as bullying as of 3rd of June this year. This is serious. Gossiping at work is not an idle thing that doesn't make any difference. As if, well, I'm not really doing anything. It's in the fight category. You are fighting. This is an aggressive response to conflict at work. If we think we can just gossip and get away with it and it doesn't matter, it does. Okay, so Ephesians 5, right to the end, says something really important. He says to us, Be obedient with fear and trembling as to Christ. So what this does is it changes something that we do. What we tend to do is we like to make a distinction. We like to say, well, there's certain stuff that I do for the church and that's sacred. See, I do this and I do that and I do this over here and I do that and that's my sacred work over there. And then on Monday I go to school or I go to uni or I go to work and that's the secular stuff over there. This and this and this and, you know, getting on the bus and then I have to go to work and then I have to get the messages and then I have to get the mail and then I have to file some stuff and then I have to update some stuff. That's just all the secular stuff. God's not saying that here. God's saying all of it is as to Christ. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So you know what God says? I didn't put this here. You put this here. I didn't put this here. It's all unto the Lord. He says, get rid of that. Get rid of that. It's all sacred. Every single thing we do, every word we say, every action we take, no matter what your environment, it's all to the glory of God. It's all unto Jesus. It's all for Jesus. We can't say, I'm at work now. The Holy Spirit's taken the day off because he only works on Sunday. It's crazy. This segregation we've made doesn't exist according to God. He says it's all sacred. You are advertising for me 24-7, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, don't think the advertising stops. The advertising and the message goes on, and especially in the workplace, because that's where the world is going to engage with you. That's where they're going to engage with Jesus. They're not going to see Jesus anywhere else, quite possibly. It might just be you. You might be their only hope for salvation ever. We're going to take every opportunity, recognize it's all working for the Lord. Erad alert, there was something different or contrasted in that verse. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, as in contrast to not for human masters. So it's all for Jesus. He's contrasting two ideas to say, not this way, this way. What do you think of this idea? Three meals a day, that's generally what we do. Generally three times a day we wash up. Do we see that as divine service or have we got this over here as just secular stuff? 
think about that when we're washing up at the sink? Or are we grumbly and thinking, I've just got to get this out of the way so I can get onto this? Imagine if we put this in our kitchen. Three services held here a day. It happens right here at the sink. Yeah. We've got to change our thinking. It's full-time service, not part-time service. Not the stuff that's in public, the stuff that's in private at home. That doesn't really matter. It all matters. You see, we're advertising Jesus in our own families. Our families are watching us very closely. We have to recognize every minute of every day we're advertising for Jesus. What's the model that you're advertising is it self and greed is good or is it other and God is good? There's only two choices. And there's a choice in terms of how you approach washing up. Is it self-oriented? I have to put the gloves on and it's boring and somebody left cheese on. That's self. Other is, I'm doing this for Jesus. I have an opportunity to show my kids that washing up actually matters to Jesus in terms of what's my purpose for watching up, what's my attitude when I'm watching up, and what's my behaviour. Am I ungrateful that I've even got a running water and plates to put food on? It makes such a difference if we recognise that there's a sign over our head everywhere we go and it's advertising which model we represent. And at work, it's not just a little sign. It's a huge big billboard because the world's seeing you. We've got to recognise that how we work affects how people think about God. They look at you and say, I don't know God, but I know you. And I know you're one of the God squad. So I'm going to base my opinion about God on you. We're Christ's ambassadors every minute of every day. Does your billboard slander God's name? All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their mother's wo- masters worthy of full respect so that God's name in our teaching may not be slandered. Do you know if there's one thing I really hope never, ever happens is that people in my workplace, they know I'm a Christian. I would be mortified if they said, yeah, she's a bit sort of um, different, that Liz, but... Really, she's not that different. They're supposed to be transformed, aren't they, by the power of Jesus, those Christian people? She doesn't look too transformed to me. She ain't any different to any of us. I would be mortified, absolutely mortified, because if I'm no different, I'm here. I'm slandering the name of God every day I'm at work if I'm no different to the world. He's empowered me to be different, It's my choice to stand here and to advertise self. Does your billboard make God look attractive? Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Saviour, attractive. You know, could you imagine... If my work colleagues saw me nicking the stationery, if they saw me being rude to clients, if they saw me being partial, oh, the client that walks in 
that looks very well dressed with lots of money and power and influence, this seems to give them a lot of attention. And then the client that walks in, a bit smelly, not dressed too well, a bit daggy, her account's getting paid by Medicare. Do you notice that Liz doesn't give them much attention? In fact, she's a bit rude to them, looks down a nose at them. I reckon she plays favourites at Liz Bamford. If they saw me with outbursts of anger at work, if they heard me lying at work, now imagine one of my work colleagues decides on a Saturday night, I've got a friend to visit at Woodridge. So they jump on the, on the train, go down to Woodridge, and as they get to the train station, they see these crazy people standing on these little pink boxes preaching about Jesus. You know what? I've already advertised to them that Jesus doesn't make any difference. I'm just as hypocritical as the next. In fact, maybe I'm the worst in the office. So they're not going to listen to a thing that Pastor Jerome is saying on that box because my billboard has already said, Jesus doesn't make any difference. I'm not listening to that. He doesn't make any difference. So it doesn't matter if Jerome is preaching the most beautiful sermon. Unless God does a miracle in their heart, they're likely to go, I know the God stuff because I know Liz Bamford doesn't make any difference. Walk. I've done that. That's my responsibility. It makes a difference what we do at work. It makes such a difference what we do at work. You see, if we're different, people will ask us, what's the secret to your work integrity? And we can say, Jesus. Every day is an opportunity to be different, to have integrity at work, and to have people say, what makes you a bit different? How come you're different? We've got to remember two principles. My master at work is the authority who God has placed over me, but God is in charge of the authority. I am not ultimately a slave to them. I am serving him. You see, laboring for the Lord is a beautiful, beautiful honour. And we forget it. We get caught up in the worldly stuff. In all of this stuff, the green stuff. We've got to remind ourselves every morning, why am I going to work? What is my billboard saying at work today? If I messed it up yesterday, maybe I need to do something different today. Talk to different people, apologise to somebody, explain something to somebody, change my approach today change the way I handle things today because I want my billboard to say Jesus is my king, he's my saviour and he's transformed me. That's why I'm different. Let's stand up. Let's close our eyes. Let's settle ourselves. Let's focus on Jesus. Lord Jesus, you know each heart in this room. Lord Jesus, you know the struggles we have in our work life. You know how 
difficult it is for us to hear these words about obeying a master that we don't like. Lord Jesus, about all the ideas we have about submission and authority from the world that tell us that they're bad. Lord Jesus, help us to step out into our workplace with a fresh spirit and a fresh view and a fresh renewal of our mind. Lord Jesus, keep renewing our minds so we throw out the stuff that belongs to the world. Fill us again, Lord Jesus, with the empowering of your spirit so we can say no to the ungodliness. Help us to step out, Lord Jesus, to step out in faith when it's difficult. Give us boldness to proclaim your word in the workplace, Lord Jesus. Help us here in our offices and our workplaces and our school places in Brisbane. But Lord Jesus, bigger than that, there's Christians all over Australia in the workplace that can make a difference for you. Help them to stand up, Lord Jesus, to stand up under the pressure to conform to this world. Lord Jesus, help us to be transformed from the mighty power of your living word. Help us to open your word, Lord Jesus. Convict us, Lord Jesus. But more than that, empower us to change, to become more like you, Jesus. Help us to know that we are your advertisement in the workplace. Help us to remember that, Lord Jesus, before we go to blaspheme your name. Lord Jesus, help us to listen to that beautiful, still, small, quiet voice that never leaves us because you never leave us. Help us to listen to that voice and help us to obey your voice. Lord Jesus, empower us today. Help us. Remind us when we wake up tomorrow morning, what do you want us to change at work? We pray in your beautiful and holy name, And everyone said, Amen. Amen.